We're so glad that you've joined us today on the Relevant Church Podcast. There's so much God wants to do in and through you as you listen to this message. If you want to learn more about Relevant Church, visit us online at thisisrelevant.cc. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen kids playing a pickup game, whether it's football or basketball. Uh, the entire process is pretty funny. I, I, love, uh, I love playing pickup games with my friends when we were younger, and now as an adult, watching kids do it is hilarious. I've got three boys that love to play sports, and it, just picking the teams is an arduous process. They've got kids lined up. You get your team captains. You're picking, you're picking, you're picking, and then people start complaining because all the big kids are on one team, and uh, all the kids who can play the best are on another team, and so there's this long process just to get the game started is a whole process, and then inevitably there's one person left. Nobody wants to be the last kid. Hey, listen, when it came to basketball, I was the last kid getting picked a lot of times because I'm not that great at basketball. I love basketball. I've got a little bit of a shot, but honestly, my basketball game is not as great as everybody else. So I was one of the kids who was always picked last to play basketball, but it's cool because when I got on the court, I showed them a little something. But it's, it's fun when the kids start playing and the game is going on, and inevitably, it's usually the team that we didn't expect to win is the one that wins. And when that happens, this is the response. What now? What now? You guys thought we were the losing team. You guys thought we had the smallest kids. You thought we weren't good. What now? We won. And you know, it's funny because adults, we do that too. We play the what now game. Honestly, what now is now done via subtweeting and Facebook memes. This is how we communicate with each other. This is how we passively aggressive, uh, passively aggressively uh, communicate with one another and literally say, what now? It could be on politics. It could be on sports. It could be in different uh, uh, spheres of life. But we also can tend to have the what now attitude. Listen, with the end of every game, there's always two types of conclusions. You've got one team who's like, what now? What are you guys going to do now? What are you going to do about it now? And then you've got the other team who's the losing team who's like, man, what now? What are we going to do now? See, I believe there are two types of people in society right now. I believe that there's two types of people in the church right now. I believe that there's even two types of people maybe in some of your own homes where you're watching this right now. And how do we deal with the events that have just transpired throughout 2020 and over the last seven days? The elections have come. We're on the other side. There's still a lot of debate You've got one side that's like, what now? You've got another side that's like, man, what now? How do we move forward? What lessons can we learn to get to the other side? How can we now move towards progress and not regress in some of the debates and the frustrations that have been taking place over the last few months? In Ephesians chapter 4, the writer Paul who's one of the greatest evangelists, church planters, leaders, authors in Scripture. Uh, This man had a radical encounter with Jesus and started preaching the gospel and planting churches and raising up leaders. He became one of the foremost leaders in Scripture. 
So he's writing to a church that he planted called the Ephesians Church. And in verse 1 of chapter 4, he begins like this. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's writing to his church. He's writing to the people that he loves so dearly. He's writing to individuals who are in a space right now where he's, he's trying to bring some, uh, he's trying to massage some unity in this church. And maybe there's a little bit of division. Maybe there's a little bit of debate going on. But ultimately, Paul is here trying to teach them how to be unified even in a moment where there seems to be tension. He's writing from prison. Paul wrote a few of these letters to the different churches that he planted from prison because ultimately religious people put him in prison. Political people put him in prison because he preached truth. And that happens a lot of times. People want to speak the truth. People want to share what's on their heart. But then After that, they're ostracized for being able to speak truth because, listen, uh, we know in Scripture it says truth will set you free. But can I tell you what? Sometimes it will isolate you socially. Truth will set you free uh, uh, mentally, but socially it might isolate you. And as a pastor, I found myself in these moments of tension where I want to preach truth and I want to preach love, but ultimately people want me to pick a side. And right now, some of you may feel that you're in that tension like, man, I've got so much to say, but it feels like every time I say something, I'm being put in a prison of isolation and people are pigeonholing me as this and that. Paul knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what we're going through, but he's telling his church, listen, I get it, I understand, but I need you to walk worthy of your calling. He says, I urge you to walk worthy of your calling. In other translations, it says, I beg you. He's like pleading pleading with them. And I'm telling you, as a pastor, as you listen to this message today, I am pleading with you to walk worthy of your calling. And you may be asking, okay, what is my calling? Is it my call to love? Is it my call to unity? Is it my call to, 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 to take the upper hand? No, I really believe that in this text, Paul is calling us to something even greater. He's calling us to a universal calling that every Christian is called to. Everybody who calls themselves a son and daughter of the living king, anybody who calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ is called to one unified calling. And we find that in Romans 8, 29. It says this, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined. There was a destiny that was laid aside just for you. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his son in in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. We are all supposed to be called. We're all supposed to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's our being. Many times when we think about our calling, we think about the things that we must do and the places that we should be going, but very rarely do we think about who we must be. And Paul is saying, if you want to see unity in the church, if you want to see unity in your life, if you want to move forward in a way that provides love and prosperity and unity, you've got to walk worthy of your calling. And then he says, because you are called by God. 
He says, which you have been called. God is the one who has called you. This is not a suggestion. This is the basic expectation of your life as a believer is you must begin to reflect Jesus Christ in all that you are. If you reflect Jesus Christ in all that you are, you will reflect him in all that you do. But what is the practical application here? The first lesson we've got to learn, God has called you to a divine calling. Your calling is your being, and your being will lead to your doing. So what does it look like practically? As we are living out uh, our calling to be conformed to the image of Christ, what does it look like moving forward practically? We get that in verse 2. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with peace, bearing with one another in love. With all humility and gentleness, point number two, the second lesson that we can take out of this is our calling is to exhibit an attitude of patience. Patience that comes from humility, that comes from gentleness. Listen, uh, humility and gentleness does not mean sacrificing my ideals or losing my identity or losing my voice. See, oftentimes when when we hear that we should be meek and should be peaceful and should uh, come to a place of unity, we feel like we're losing our voice. We feel like I'm being stifled, that I can't be myself. No, humility and gentleness doesn't mean sacrificing your ideals or who you are or your voice, but it does mean acknowledging your own bias. It it does mean acknowledging the fact that I'm coming from a certain vantage point. I'm coming from a different viewpoint that's different from the people who I'm disagreeing with. And we have to acknowledge the fact that, hey, sometimes we just see things differently. And it also means seasoning our speech with honor. We want to honor people in the way we dialogue, in the way we talk. We want to make sure that we are providing honor and respect to individuals all around us. Why? Because Jesus is living inside of us. And if we're representing Christ, we can't be out there just running off at the mouth. I remember a story about a college student who loved and adored his professor. His professor was like his hero, and as he was getting ready to graduate, he had had many times consulting with his professor, and and so there was this issue on campus, and this professor and another professor who had opposing views started going at it at a public uh, 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 event. And as they're going at it, uh, this young man is, is seeing his professor, whom he's loved and respected so much, literally engaging in this brutal lashing of words as they're going back and forth to the point that he didn't even know whether his professor was right, whether his professor was wrong, or what everything has, was amounting out to. All he could see is the person that he loved and respected was engaging in a dialogue that wasn't respectful and honoring to the other person. I heard it said best, in America, we've got freedom of speech, but as Christians, we don't. What does this mean? Proverbs 29, 11 tells, this, tells us this, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. A fool, somebody who is foolish, gives full vent. They just start running off at the mouth about what they believe and what they want and all of these things. It says, but a wise man quietly holds it back. They walk in wisdom. And there's a text written by James, Jesus' little brother, 
the Messiah's little brother. And I've got to read the full text because I feel like you've just got to get the full uh, uh, umph of what he's trying to say here. He says, how great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. He says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Can you believe that? He says it's set on fire by hell for every kind of beast and bird or reptile of the sea creature, um, of the sea or sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no one can no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And he closes this. He says, from the same mouth come blessings and curses. My brothers, these things not ought to be so. Our, our calling is to exhibit an attitude of patience. Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ, when he was being led to the cross, it was like a lamb being led to the slaughter. He didn't fight back. He didn't argue. He didn't yell. He didn't scream. He didn't make all types of noise. Jesus humbly went because he knew that ultimately in his humility, in his grace, in his gentleness, the, 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 the meanness and the terror that was coming from other people would soon be overcome by love by an act of love. Our calling is to exhibit an attitude of patience, using wisdom when to engage, using wisdom when to speak. Verse 2, it goes on and says this, with all humility and gentleness, with peace, bearing with one another in love. Our calling is to a radical expression of grace. He says, bear with one another. Here's the deal. You don't bear with people who don't, who fill your bucket. You don't bear with the people you get along with. You don't bear with people who you love to be around. Bearing with one another with love ultimately is saying bearing with people you disagree with. Bearing with people who are sitting on the opposite side of you. In the translation says you're making an allowance. You're literally leaving room. You're understanding that no one is perfect. You're understanding that you're going to be disappointed. You're understanding that people are going to think different from you, vote different from you, stand on different aisles than you. But what you're doing is you're making allowance. You're leaving room in your life to accept even those people. Why? Because of love. How much room has love allowed for the people in your life? How much room do you have in your, in your life to love the people who may disagree with you, who may be different than you? Or do you have a love standard checklist where you check off, if, if you fit this bucket, then I can't love you. If you vote this way, I can't love you. If you, feel the, the, if you hold this position, I can't love you. Jesus is the ultimate example of a radical expression of grace. Jesus was prepared for his betrayal because his love made allowance. 
Jesus was prepared for rejection because his love made allowance. Jesus was ready for the cross and went to the cross and allowed himself to be sacrificed because his love made allowance. And because of his love, you and I can now find reconciliation in God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. How many of us are willing to sacrifice ourselves so others can be reconciled? How many of us are willing to sacrifice our uh, ability to yell, to scream, to post, and, and bash other people so other people can recognize what reconciliation and true patience and grace looks like? Our calling is to a radical expression of grace. He goes on in verse 3. He says, we've got to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The fourth lesson that we learn is our calling is to intentionally preserve unity. See, unity doesn't mean conformity. To be unified with somebody doesn't mean that you've got to be conformed to the same ideals and you've got to be conformed to the exact same positions. Humanity is not a monolith and neither is Christianity. See, unity that we have as believers is the unity that we have as a result of the Spirit that reconciled us through the love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, 27 through 28 tells us this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. There's no Republican. There's no Democrat. There's no conservative. There's no liberal. For all are one in Christ Jesus. We all have been brought and unified in Christ Jesus and made one. Ephesians 2, 14 through 15 says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. Can I let you know, we always talk about striving for unity and we got to be unified. We don't create unity. We can't create unity. We are all so different. We are all so broken. We're all coming from different places. We cannot create unity, but unity has been created in us because there's only one bond that can keep us together, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ that unites everybody from different backgrounds, from different positions, from different persuasions, and allows us to recognize that what unites us is much deeper than what separates us. We don't create unity. We can maintain it through a conscious decision to be at peace with everyone. Love what it says in Romans 12. The same writer, Paul, says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, not so far as it depends on the other person, not so far as the other person uh, said something right to you, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Matthew 5, 9, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Those individuals who live in peace, those people who aren't causing trouble, the people who aren't just running off at the mouth and and just sharing their ideas and, and their frustrations that are not giving full vent to their spirit. Those people who are saying, you know what, I'm going to approach this with humility, with gentleness. I'm going to be peaceable. I'm going to be graceful. These will be called the sons 
of God because they are conformed in the image of Jesus Christ who is and was and always will be the eternal, everlasting Son of God. Verse 4, we close out. Verse 4 and 5. He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. The fifth lesson that we learn is that we are being called to be one. We're being called to be one. There's one body. What is he saying here? He says, listen, just like in our body, we have different members, but yet there's one body. Just like in the church, there's different persuasions. There's different individuals. There's different denominations. There's different expressions, but we are one church. There's one global Catholic church, not the denomination Catholicism, but Catholic diverse. We are one diverse church, people from different backgrounds, people with different understandings, but all coming together, united in one body, making up the church. I love what Derwin L. Gray says. The church is not a building, but it's a last name of a blood blood-bought people. There's one body. We're being called to be one in one body. There's one spirit, the same spirit that was in Jesus Christ when he walked this earth, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead, the same spirit lives in you and it lives in me. That same spirit lives in people who live in Africa. The same spirit is in the people in Asia. The same spirit is the people in uh, America. That spirit, that one spirit, the spirit of God lives in Democrats and it lives in Republicans. It lives in conservatives and it lives in liberals. It, it lives in males and it lives in females. That same spirit is a spirit that keeps us connected because that same spirit is the same spirit that lives inside of all of us. There's one spirit. And ultimately, there's one hope. There's one hope. And that's eternal life to enjoy God in resurrection glory. We are called to make up the future presence of the body of Christ living in heaven for ceaseless ages with our God, with our Redeemer. There's this text. I didn't know whether I was going to read it or not. It's a long text, but we find it in Revelation. I think I'm just going to read it. It's one of my favorite texts. It just, it excites me about the future of our humanity. In Revelation 7, John, the writer of this text, is given a vision into the courts of heaven. He's given a vision of what heaven is going to look like when this earth passes away. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages and political leanings, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. 
And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It says, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these people? clothed in these white robes? And from where have they come from? And I said to him, John said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Listen, living in this world is not easy. There's issues that we face. There's brokenness that happens in this world. But if we stand firm, if we stay committed, if we remain focused, if we allow ourselves to be conformed into the image of Christ, this will be us. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We are called to live in the present reality of our future hope. Listen, with patience, with grace, with unity, because we have stored up enough love from Christ to walk worthy of our calling and represent Jesus Christ to everybody around us. So what now? What now? Work. Walk worthy of your calling. Where do we go from here? Walk worthy of your calling. But my God didn't become president. Walk worthy of your calling. Well, I don't know. My state flipped. Walk worthy of your calling. Well, I go to church with people who feel very differently than me. Walk worthy of your calling. The only response to everything going on in our country, our world, is each of us make a personal decision to walk worthy of our calling. So as the text began, I too, your pastor, beg you, Walk worthy of your calling. Because you know what happens when we walk worthy of our calling? Humanity experiences the presence of the living God as we bring heaven on earth in our generation. We are called to be the ambassadors of Christ, to bring reconciliation for the glory of Jesus Christ. And today and forevermore, if we walk worthy of our calling, earth will experience heaven. No matter what's going on around us, everyone who has an encounter with us will experience the love and the grace of their Lord and Savior, 
Jesus Christ. Thank you again for joining us on the Relevant Church Podcast. If this message has been impactful to you, let us know by sending an email to hello at thisisrelevant.cc. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing at giving.thisisrelevant.cc. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more messages like this one.